Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder here at Generations, and with me as always is my friend and the lead pastor at Generations, Jeff Ludington. How you doing, Jeff? I had to check my notes. That's me, right? I'm that Jeff. Is, okay, good. Still yeah, you. yeah. All right. Hey, I am good, man. It's summer. It's well, it's not so okay. I know it's still spring, but it's headed towards summer. It's summer vacation. And uh, I, yeah, man, I'm comfy. I'm wearing shorts and, and t shirt. And I, man, I'm, I, you know, any, any more comfortable, and I would be prone to be laying down, you know, all good. There you go. There you go. Uh, we are in the midst of our series on questions from the classroom. If you're just joining us, uh, I've been teaching at Valley Christian High School for 13 years now. Uh, both math and Bible classes. Jeff joined me this year and was our teacher for our senior Bible classes. And we've just been uh, looking at questions that students tend to ask and and realizing that most of these are the same questions that adults ask and just people just want to know. And and there's a series of questions, kind of serious questions today that we want to look at. Uh, So here we go. These questions all go together. They're from three different students. The first one, do those who are unable to think for themselves, like young children or the mentally challenged, go to heaven or hell? And then adding to that, the next person said, what happens to babies when they die? And then the next person, can mentally challenged kids who cannot conceptualize afterlife go to heaven? Yeah, those are great questions. And uh, they're born out of pain. You know what I mean? So these are questions that are, they're not just, you know, sterile theological questions. They're, they're questions because people lose infants or uh, because people are born with severe disabilities, which is ultimately a result of sin in the world, right? Um, all these things, death is a natural result of sin, right? It's a part of the curse and, and illness that leads to death or, or things that affect us. And so these are all questions that are born out of pain. Um, we talk about biblical doctrine or biblical theology and the reason we do this, the reason we always answer with Scripture and we talk about theology is, you know, most people don't want to be theologians, but um, functionally, every Christian, every person is a theologian in a sense. They have what they believe Scripture says. And so uh, whether that's accurate to Scripture or not, it's up in the air, but um, our theology matters. I want to contrast two views before we dive into the questions. And so uh, you and I come from a tradition called Reformed Theology. It's birthed out of the Reformation 500 years ago, the Protestant Reformation. And uh, during that, one of the things that was highlighted five years ago was the sovereignty of God, God's sovereignty over everything, including salvation. And so you'll hear things like election or predestination, uh, God choosing versus humanity choosing God. Um, the opposite of that, that kind of pushed back within 100 years later, was um, what we would modern day call free will. It was called Arminianism after Jacobus Arminius, not after the nation Armenia, but, uh, but the free will view. Now, free will itself is a psychological term uh, that says our will is free, we choose, whatever. That came along around 200, 300 years ago. But the idea of the two competing views about our salvation have existed uh, for a minimum of 500 years, and then there was a conversation about 1,700 years ago when a man named Pelagius said that humanity is born neutral and that it's a bad society or culture or influence that leads everybody to sin. And everybody does sin, but it's not because they're born inherently evil. 
Arminianism that came along another 1,200 years later, 11, 1,200 years later, uh, picked up on that, it's considered semi-Pelagian. And it says that humanity is born sinful, but not so sinful that it can't find its way back or choose its way back to God. Reformed theology says man is so sinful that it cannot, man, humanity, we, cannot choose God. God must act first. God must regenerate our hearts. And so it's inside of this sovereignty of God view that I think we find, and, and when I say we, from the reform perspective where God is sovereign over salvation, we actually have comfort where people who love to believe in free will, they love to say, I chose my faith, or I asked God, I accepted God into my heart, I did this, I did that. That sounds really palatable, but as soon as you play that idea out, you find that it's very, very problematic and not biblical. Right, so we're going to see how that fits in with our questions for today. So two things that we know are clear in Scripture. Number one, sin is present in everyone. Infants, disabled, from birth we are sinful. Uh, Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And Romans 3, 10 and 11, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So, Sin is present in everyone, and Jesus is the only way to salvation is the second truth that we find clearly in Scripture. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, that's, and that's a great starting point. So everyone is sinful, right? Uh, no one seeks God. No, not one. You said in Romans, right? No, not one. So it's, it's, it's absolutely everybody. And then no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus says the only way to God is Jesus, right? So if free will theology, which I, again is not true, I would tell you this, man, you, if you had a free will, you could choose not to sin. And we all know that sin is a curse, right? If you're, if you're Christians, you believe that we're born sinful, right? Those are the two truths. You're born sinful and that Jesus is the only way to God. And so if free will was true, let me play out the implications of something that is not true. If free will is true, then an infant must go to hell, born sinful, and doesn't choose Jesus, right? And so also, the severely handicapped, those who cannot conceptualize sin, eternity, salvation, things like that, would not also choose Jesus, and so also hell, right? So free will theology sounds really good when you're saying, I had a part in my salvation, but it's, it's arrogance, if you will, it's itself, it's wanting to believe that I did something right, right? Especially when we're talking about how sinful I am. I want to believe I did something right by asking Jesus to fix it, right? But the problem is, if you play that out, you end up in a place where infants and severely handicapped people uh, go to hell. And, and I'll say, people who believe that try and add in things like age of accountability and None of those things exist in Scripture. Age of accountability was a Jewish concept about when a child became a, an adult. Had nothing to do with sin or salvation because they believed everybody was born sinful. That's why circumcision on the eighth day old, you know, that's why everybody was under the covenant, right? So uh, you have to make excuses around this. If you believe in a free will, if you believe you have to choose God, um, then you're trapped into explaining away infants and handicapped folks or adding things into scripture like an age of accountability. Right, so I, I tell my students when we talk about, you know, are humans born sinful or do we become sinful? I said, if you ever want the answer to that question, just hang out with the toddler for a little right. while, right? I remember um, one of my daughters 
pulling herself up about the time she could just about stand by pulling herself up on furniture, pulled herself up on our TV console, um, reached into a bunch of Disney VHS tapes we had there, uh, grabbed one, and my wife said no. And she looked at my wife, and she smiled, and then she pulled it out and dropped it on the floor, and then continued to smile and pick another one, yeah. knowing that what she was doing was wrong, but just being rebellious. Just We looked at each other and said, who taught her to do that? Right? We don't, we don't t- teach our kids to be selfish. Right. They're naturally selfish. We teach them to share. Right. We don't teach them to lie. They naturally lie. We teach them to be honest, to tell the truth. So based upon that, the idea that, that we are born sinful, if all humans are sinful and Jesus is the only way to heaven, then what do we do with that question of you know, someone who either by their age or their mental capacity never really has the opportunity to ask Jesus uh, to be their savior, to forgive them? Uh, does this mean they automatically go to hell? Right. And so that's why I say this. The answer for us is there's actually great hope. God, if God is sovereign over salvation, right, if that is accurate, if God saves people rather than people pursue God, right? And again, you read a verse that says, no one seeks God, no, not one. So this whole idea of people being seekers is thrown out the window. Yeah, people are seeking stuff, but it's not God. They're seeking themselves. And so under God's sovereignty over salvation, under the reform view of salvation, Here's what we get. Now, I want to give you a couple of verses to think about. So John 3, uh, this is that famous conversation about being born again. Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, there's a, a word play here. The wind, uh, wind, breath, and spirit are all the same word. And so... It's like Jesus is saying this, you need to be spiritually born. You were born human, now you need to be born again spiritually. And that's something that the Holy Spirit does. And the Spirit goes where it wants to go. You can't really see it. You can't control it. it you know, this Holy Spirit, He does what He wants to do. There's another verse, and there's, I mean, there is a hundred of these verses that do this. It's consistent Old Testament, New Testament. But Acts 13, 48, listen to this language. Uh, this is the gospels going out beyond Judaism. It's going to Gentiles and then... Uh, and it's the story of kind of Paul, and he, and he says this. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying in the word of the Lord. Now listen to this. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, right? So not as many who freely chose Jesus believed, as many as who were appointed to eternal life believed. So those who God is saving believed, right? And those who God is regenerating, the Spirit is waking their hearts up, that's, those are who who was born again. So if we believe God is sovereign over salvation, here's what we get. We get a window opened up to, right, God saving people beyond their own choice. So that could be an infant. That could be somebody who is mentally challenged and, and, and severely disabled in that area. And so we get now that it is on God and not on humanity. If it's free will, it's on humanity and there's no hope. If it's on God, now we have a window into hope. So good theology matters, right? What you believe about how we are saved, whether we have the ability to even turn to God on our own, um, those things lead into our answers for these kind of questions. Absolutely. The opposite is true too, right? Bad theology has bad implications. It may sound really good that I get to choose my faith, but it always leads to problems down the road, right? It always has implications. If I choose my faith, 
and I, you know, do something for it, then I can also send my way out of it and lose it. And that's not biblical either, right? So good theology always matters. Now, Ephesians 1 says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to who does what to whom in this language, right? Who has blessed us, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So God blesses humanity in Christ. So sinful humanity, God moves first, and it's done through Jesus, right? Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Christ. So God in Christ blesses us. Okay, keeps going. Even as he chose us, so God chooses us in him, meaning Jesus, before the foundation of the world. So God sovereignly acts, and he did. He made this plan before the, before the beginning of the world. So that plan could include you know, you and me as, it, as we believe it did, and it could include the infant who's going to die a day old. It could include the people who are severely disabled and cannot conceptualize faith, right? He goes on, he says that we should be holy and blameless before him. So he chooses us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. It says, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. So in love, he, God, predestined, chose beforehand us, believers, right, for adoption. And again, that's an image. Parents choose children. Children don't go out and choose adoptive parents, right? It's the other way around. So everything is consistent. And he predestined us in love for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Again, it's all in Jesus. It doesn't exclude Jesus from the process. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So again, God's will in Christ to save us, right? So there is this understanding that God saves through Jesus. So God saves sinful people who can't save themselves, meaning us as sinful people or people who can't conceptualize of it or who are born and never have a chance to even hear the gospel, right? And he does it through Jesus in a plan from before the foundation of the world. The covenant of redemption predates humanity where God set a plan in place. That gives us opportunity to see that plan play out in the lives of either infants or disabled folks, right? Right, so I can see where this passage could give some hope to someone who has lost a child or someone who has a child that's uh, severely disabled, but is it just the hope that, boy, I hope my child was chosen, I hope my child was elect, right. or is there something stronger to this? That's a great question. So now I, I have to, uh, I wish I didn't have to, but I have to limit this conversation now to believers, okay? So uh, you just mentioned you have daughters, you and Robin have two girls. And so this next passage is written to believers. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth is this crazy pagan place, right? Not Christian, not even close to Christian, right? Completely sexually immoral, worship other gods. But then the gospel breaks out in, in Corinth and people are coming to faith. But imagine Robin runs off to your wife, or Lisa, my wife, runs off to this you know, goes to the store and all of a sudden here's this preacher talking about Jesus and comes to faith and then comes home. But I'm not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Just our spouse. But we have kids. We have families. We have all this. It's written to that setting. And so Paul says this to the church. He says, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and, she, and he consents to live with her. So if she comes to faith and he hasn't, but he wants to stay with her. Here's what he's saying. And he consents to live with her. She should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. So here it is. The unbelieving husband, you, me, right? Which, of course, we're believers, but you get my hypothetical. The unbelieving husband is made holy because of the faith of the wife, right? And he flips the script, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. So 
when a believer who's a husband has a wife, right? Same idea. When you're married, all of a sudden there's this promise that extends beyond you when you come to faith. So that's important for spouses. Now, hear this. The final phrase in that verse, he says, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So I got to qualify this. Paul writing to believers, believers who are married, believers who have kids, so families. When someone comes to faith, there is a promise God has made. Now remember, God has made this plan of redemption, this covenant with, you know, with Jesus to, to save people before we were ever born. And so when one believer comes to faith, it's not like God is caught off guard. He's also not waiting for our free will to kick in and have our spouse come to faith, right? God has a covenant plan. And so when somebody comes to faith, there's a, there's a promise over that family. So now to our question. So if you have a child who dies in infancy or, you know, dies before they're old enough to hear the gospel and understand, or you have someone who, you have a child who is unable to conceptualize the gospel, but you're a believer, God has a promise over your family. And so it moves from just, I wish this could be true or it could be true to God makes promises over families. Now, this is not true over unbelieving families. And I don't know what to say to the non-believers who have a child who dies. I, I think I have to stop short of believing families. I have to qualify it with what I can defend in scripture. But again, if that's you, if you're not a believer and you've, you've gone through this or you have a disabled child or whatever it might be, uh, and you come to faith, I think this applies, right? I just don't wanna, I don't want to extend it to everybody. But this sovereignty of God gives us hope for anyone even those, you know, those, those kids that die of unbelieving family, gives us hope for anyone. It gives us hope for the unreached people group in some jungle in South America or, you know, in Papua New Guinea, this, you know, you know, tribe of people that are unreached. It gives us hope for everybody because God is sovereign, that Jesus and God, they're bigger than us. But for us, it gives us a promise for our children. Great. So we hope this, uh, this podcast today gave you some hope, some clearer understanding of the gospel. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, we will have to address the issue of um, free will later on in another podcast, as that's probably going to bring up some questions from people. But if you have those questions, please email us at questions at generations.email. We want to thank you for listening. We will release another one every Tuesday. So keep turning in, uh, share these, like these, subscribe, give us a comment, and may God bless you this week. information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.